spoken me. I went to sleep that night without knowing that it would be the last night I ever spent in that bed at my parents' house in London. Meredith, my mum shook me awake. The room was dark, making it obvious it wasn't morning yet, but not time to get up for school anyway. Mum, I mumbled in my half-asleep state. It's time to go. Everything I told you about those stories is true. It's time for you to leave us so you can train to be a protector. Your dad and I, we've done everything we possibly can to prepare you. First Charge is the first book in the Destiny Initiative series by Amanda The book can be purchased in paperback from Amazon. The e-book can also be purchased on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books and many others. Spoken Thank you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and literally 10 or 11 other networks, the full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, spokenlabel.bandcamp.com. On Bandcamp, it is set as pay what you want. So you are entitled, if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you're going to throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always eternally grateful to help me maintain the operating costs and future running costs for this podcast. Enjoy. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. And again, Spoken Label, back in the house. Back on Zoom again today, of course. And endless and support um, Spoken Label regularly with Joe. I speak to lots of people. And this is a good one today because I've done a session about half an hour ago with this gentleman's wife. So I've got on now. So so I've always wanted to chat to Penny Charman's husband, Keith, who's with me now, Keith Landon. So, Keith, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them who you are, look a bit about yourself and your writing, where it originally came from, and we'll take it from there. Okay. I'm Keith, Keith Lander. Um, where to start? I mean, I've been involved. I'm a programmer, basically. I've been a programmer for 53 years now, but uh, I've also had a a big interest in poetry. I've read poetry since I was a teenager. Um, The first poem I wrote was in about 1964. Um, I also used to play the guitar in those days, and I used to be... I was the English version of Bob Dylan. You can forget Donovan, it was me. Except he, <laughs> he got there before me. Um, so anyway, I used to write songs, sing songs in folk clubs and all this sort of stuff. And, and then I started work and that all went out the window. So I just, I just read poetry until probably when I was about 50-ish. I started, uh, I started writing fiction and then about 20 years ago started writing poetry. Um, so I've been writing ever since I did an MA in 2006 at MMU. Uh, I've been on lots of workshops and I think I've done about half a dozen Arvon courses. Uh, and that's me today. Yeah, busy man indeed. Now, I want to talk to you first of all, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about today, Keith. It's obviously with your programming, you obviously told to look a bit about that before. So I want to know, obviously, back in 1967, because way before, before my time, 
What were you programming on at that station? Oh, right. Well, I started, I did a degree in maths, uh, a bad degree in maths. Um, <laughs> I, I fell out at the end and decided I wasn't going to be a teacher because I never fancied that idea. Well, at the time, you know, the, the in thing was programming. Um, you couldn't do a degree in programming. You could do anything in programming. So I got a job after a lot of looking around with Ferranti uh, in Withenshaw as well as it's no longer there. Um, it was for anti-automation systems. And that they did, they automated things like, in those days, I mean, one of the things they did was Jogful Bank. Um, and they used to automate uh, nuclear power stations. They did a few of those, oil refineries. And the thing I got roped into uh, at the ripe old age of 21, was a ship, which you may remember, called the QE2. I do, yeah, I do. <laughs> right. Well, I got I got tied up with that just after it was launched upon Clydebank. And uh, basically we had to, um, we had to replace, in those days, the control room of a ship was, was just a huge mass of dials and instruments. And so what the, the, the idea was to reduce all those uh, and to put a computer in and the computer would sort of let them choose, you know, on a much fewer dials uh, what was going on. They also monitored alarms, like whether the toilets were overflowing and uh, whether the list oh, was... Oh, right. you know, yeah. Yeah, getting right. on, yeah. So the monitoring thing. So I was on that for, I don't know, two years. Uh, I went on the... I went on two maiden voyages, um, one, one to New York and the other one down to the Canary Islands via Lisbon. Um, so that was that. Um, so that's where I started. Um, I think I was there for about three years. Um, then I went, where did I go after that? I worked at the university in Manchester for about three years. Um, there, uh, they had a computer system there which was shared um, by lots of universities um, and I was responsible there with others to keep it going. I mean these are the days when there weren't little boxes, I mean the, the computer room at the university which is still there, uh, if you go down Oxford Road you might notice on the left just before you get to the old university a building which is it's, it's a red brick building about three stories high with tall sliding you know, strips of windows going all the way up it. Um, well, the computer room in there was over a hundred feet square. Yeah. Uh, wow. When I when I worked there, it had two machines in it. Um, one was an ICL machine, the other one was an American machine. Uh, and, and in those days, they, they they were they ran like shit off a shovel compared to. You know other things at the time but probably today you could fit it in your iphone um and, and it just went from there what did i do after that i went to work for ico in kids wow well, while you've been busy then haven't you definitely yeah missing pieces oh uh, it goes on after that yeah i was completely. Like, i just wanted to i wanted to get a feel for you i wanted to get a feel for you first of all with your, your programming work because i will obviously um, i want to ask you about your writing program you've done that's why first of all today um, right. Writing okay. Shed, which is available on the Apple App Store, I believe. So, it's oh, it. Tell us about that then. Where the origins of this idea came from? Then? Well, 
All right, uh, you have to skip forward a bit. I had a fascination for um, word processors in the early 80s. Hmm. And uh, I'll do a quick one and I'll leap forward. And I, I wrote a program for the Apple Mac, which had just come out in about 84. Um, that was a word processing program. And I did several more after that. I did one for the Acorn machines. And, and then I didn't do any more uh, until about five years ago, six years ago, I decided to write. I used to use a thing called um, Scrivener on the Mac. Uh, which I hated. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was hard to use and all the rest of it. So I decided I could do better. And there wasn't one on the iPad, which had just come out. So I thought, I'll build one for the iPad. So that's what Writing Shed started off being. And it took me about two years to write it. And uh, it's there now. There's a version for the Mac as well. Um, and probably for the past year, I've been trying to build another one. I'm obsessed with it, as you can tell. <laughs> Slightly. Programming. 53 years of the stupid game, but there you are. It keeps wow. me busy. Oh, it certainly does with that one, doesn't it? So if you're doing all the programming that you're actually on to your new pro ones coming up. And I guess it's like writing to a degree, and I'm sure you would disagree with this. When it grabs you like a book, it's never going to let you go, is it? So... <laughs> It's in, in, in many ways, and it might probably most people would think I'm just potty to say it, but to me, writing, writing programs is not a long way distant from actually writing poetry. No, um, I, don't, I don't disagree with you there. I, I, I find the same when I do, do a lot of this piece of myself and I do music and stuff. It's just getting the sequences right, A to B and C to D, isn't it, really? So it's patterns for me. It's about patterns, which is what maths used to be when I was, you know, when I was young. I used to be fascinated by the patterns, just the shapes of the stuff on paper, uh, and that's still the same. Yeah, yeah, I can see, I can see what you're getting. I straight away I keep my gravy that one. Is that same sort of uh, approach on your writing in itself? Is it when you do writing? Um, or do, you do, do you do things a different way when you do your writing? Well, there, there are differences, obviously, because, you know, I, it's about language. Programming is about language. You know, you have to, I mean, the languages that are around today are very, very sophisticated, and you have to follow incredibly complicated rules. And in a way, writing poetry, to me, is about, it's about the words and the patterns. I don't write particularly formal poems, but... Mm. I'm always aware of choosing words and things like that, like I am when I'm programming, choosing choosing shapes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Getting completely with that one. So um, I know Penny told me before, obviously, your wife, that you had a collection come out last year as well, didn't you? And you were telling me a little bit about that off mic before through Yaffle Press. Yeah, uh I mean, I've had a variety of collections and publishing. Oh, you really? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and not, not published, no. Ah. Things I've put together and never done anything with. Well, I have. I've sent them off and they've gone nowhere. Then <laughs> um, uh, it was after Penny got her first pamphlet uh, with the Apple last year, year before last. Um, Mark Connors said to me, 
and I got anything I could send him. So I sent him the poems which are now in this pamphlet called Pandemonium. I'll show it here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent. Pandemonium. Yeah, got it. Brilliant. I, I, I photograph. I was just asking about to ask you. Obviously, people can't see what the photograph is, but it's a picture of. Is that loads of soldiers on top of the bodies out on top of each other? No, it's not. It looks a bit like that. It, it, I think I took it in, um, in, a, in a flower pot in somewhere in Oxford. Oh, did you? Uh, Excellent. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just a load of junk, really. Um, but it looks like it looks like a soldier. Yeah, it does. That's what I thought. Then I thought, yeah, it's that sort of picture. I mean, if you look at it, you need to have probably more than a two-second look at it. I mean, definitely that one. Which I can imagine you're working deep at that. So tell us a, a little bit about this collection, then, Keith. What was the what was the point? There? What made you come up with the title of this collection? First of all, um, two reasons, I suppose. Uh, one is that. Uh, it, I mean, the picture itself is of pandemonium, which is chaos. Um, and there's a poem in it, uh, which I won't read because it's too long. Um, I don't know what it's called now. What did I call it? I can find it. Bear with. Yeah, it's called Minding My Business in Pandemonium. Oh, great title. Great title. Which uh, I, think, I think was published in Prole. In fact, oh, yes, it was, well it was published in Prol a few years back now. Uh, but it's quite a long one. It's sort of it's a bit prose poemy. Mm. Um, but it's based on, it was taken from a, 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 an etching by Dürer. Yeah. Of, well, it was called The Night, Death and the Devil by Dürer. So that's that. Um, but it's a collection which I suppose centres around, uh, there are poems about my mum, poems about my dad. Um, there's a couple about Penny, for one, at least. Uh, <laughs> the four books about her, she She knows if I read it to her. <laughs> um, but there's a poem about IT, you know, that sort of thing. It's a, a fair old spread, I suppose, of things. No, good, no, good, no, good stuff. Um, do you envisage <laughs> you would bring another collection out someday, or you're not sure you're just going to wait to wait, see the lay of the land? I would like to, but um, at the moment I'm not doing much because of what's going on around me. Yes, um, not easy at the minute, that's for sure. Of it, so. this, this bloody virus thing has just sort of killed any sort of passion for writing that I had. Um, and I'm not fighting it. I'll just, I've got an idea for a collection I want to write. It's, it's, more, it's just a long poem. Mm. <clears throat> I started several times and um, maybe it will get going. I don't know. I had a good idea in the middle of the night. I have a tendency to wake. I always wake up in the middle of the night. Being an old man, sleeping is an absolute bugger these days. <laughs> um, but uh, particularly I have to pee a lot. Um, which, yeah, you, you'd get well with my dad on that one, Keith, but my dad's 85 years, <laughs> and my dad's usually up four, oh, at least three or four times during the night, Pete. Oh, no, <laughs> I can, I can make, most nights I can make four, if not more. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I usually wake up at about three, two to three, and can't go back to sleep. 
Um, so I read for an hour usually, and then I go back to sleep. But last night, I think it was, I got a poem came into my head, and uh, I thought I must write it down. You know, it goes, I must write this down now. But I didn't, did I? Oh. And could I remember any of it this morning? No way. No way, yeah. I've done that. <laughs> I don't know. I fall for it every time. It's usually bits of programme that pester me, and I hate that. <laughs> um, but uh, there you go. Um, oh, I get it completely, yeah. Um, if people want to find out more about you, Keith, where are the best going? About me? I've got a yeah. website. You've got a website. What's your website, then? Um, what's it called? Uh, keithlander.co.uk cool. Brilliant, I'll make a note of that later That's fine Keith Thank you for that And obviously, you, but is, your, is your collection still available through Yapple Press Do you know? Yeah, or you can get it through me through the website Or even yourself, even better, that's fine That's great to me, I'll make a note of it in a minute then. Go to the website, you can buy it there Brilliant um, There's also a website for the app that's out there Oh, what's the app? what's the app's website then? It's writing-shared.com. Brilliant. I'll put that on. Make a note of that as well. You're a superstar, Keith. Thank you for that, mate. Okay, what we're going to do, Keith, we'll take a quick break now, let you get yourself compared, prepared, and we've got a few poems in the second half. Is that all right for you, mate? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Brilliant. Okay, right. Hang around, everybody. I'm looking forward to this. Spoke on Hi, guys. Okie dokie. Straight over to Keith. Go for it, mate. Okay, right. So I'll read a selection from Pandemonium. Uh, the first one um, I wrote in memory of uh, an old friend of mine, who some of you may know, Linda Chase, who died about 10 years ago now. That's gone quick. Anyway, here it is. She was, she was born in New York, um, so this is, it's called Fantasy in New York, for Linda Chase. Years later, I went there a second time and found you everywhere, in the coffee bars and diners, disappearing into the subway, waving down a yellow cab in Times Square. One time, I waited in line for an hour to ride up left the Empire State and spotted you waving from Central Park, then throwing crumbs to gold from the Staten Island Ferry, then dancing with friends on Bleecker Street. I sat for hours, people watching in Washington Square, imagined we'd met there the first time, not knowing what we had talked about. Wonderful, Keith. I, I met Linda. Oh, blimey, was it? She did put with some players, didn't she? Was that might be the right event there? She did. I helped. Yeah, her. yeah. I remember. I met her. I went to two of them just before she died. I remember. I never met her there. I talked to her both times. So lovely, yeah. lovely lady. She was. Did you ever remember a thing called the Deer List? It was a mailing list. Oh yeah, yeah. I was on that. I was on that at one well, point. I, I yeah. used to run it after she yeah. died. I ran it for years. Uh, oh, did you? Oh, wow. <laughs> I passed across them yeah. and I know we never, you never realise sometimes. <laughs> okay. Wow. Right. This next one uh, is a poem um, about my mum who died just before Linda, actually. Uh, so, about 2010. Uh, she had dementia, uh, vascular dementia. Uh, she, she, was, she, was in, she was in a home for about 
two, maybe three years uh, before she died. Anyway, this this was, um, well, before she went into the home, she was in the mental health ward in Crewe, the Leighton Hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was there for three months, believe it or not. Uh, and I, this is about one visit I made. It's called Chocolate. I visit her most afternoons at two, usually find her walking in a dream, along with other walking dreamers. Sometimes she'll be in the day room, staring into space or sobbing like a child. The TV will be on, but only the nurses watch it. Seeing me, she'll smile and ask, have you come to take me home? I'll change the subject, tell her it's snowing. Can we make a snowman? Then she'll dig inside her makeup bag, stuffed with treasured things she's found. Offer me a piece of Cadbury's chocolate from a bar I bought her weeks ago. So that was me. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking, that one. That was a heartbreaking key, but it's got. I love the ending of it, yeah, but the chocolate bar, yeah. the symbolism of the time. It's yeah. true as well. Great piece. Yeah, you feel it. You can, I can feel, what, you, what was very good about that piece, me, Keith, was the emotion in it. That wasn't explicit, you know what I mean? You held, mm. the, held, the, held it back. Brilliant. Anyway, I'm putting you off, mate. <laughs> oh, no, you're all right. Yeah. Um, what shall I do next? How many was that? That was two, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the, the second I'll, one, yeah. I'll, this, this, well, I'm going way back now. This is one of my earliest memories. Uh, um, I used to... Maybe, my, my father had relatives in in uh, Ancoats. He had them all over. He was a Mancunian like me. Um, but this is called the Waterman Inn, which uh, comes from about 1954, this, I think. So I'd have been eight or nine. Cigarette smoke, clinking glasses, an old Joanna, and the tipperary din of grown-ups singing in the booze of the public bar. I was led by the hand through the smoke, the stale sweat, the gin and beer, to the parlour, clutching a peppermint cordial, where an old dog slept in front of the range. And there was great-grandma Old No, in mourning black on a ladder-back chair, puffing her pipe, not speaking, her eyes wondering who I was and why I was there. True that she was uh, a grand old lady. Uh, wow! God knows. I think she was born in. I think she was born in about eighteen seventy. Wow! Great. <laughs> it's, it's, wow. it's funny to think of it these days. I've got. You do is that. I've got wow. grandfathers that were born in eighteen seventy-two. <laughs> oh, my dad's dad was born in eighteen. Let's get this right now. Okay, I can't get my head down. 1879, my granddad was yeah, born. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. dad, yeah. yeah. My dad was born in 1935, so like, his, dad, his dad had him for his second wife, and he was about 60, just turned 60 or something on that territory, but yeah. Right, here's one. I'll do one now about my dad. My dad was a, um, he was a bomber pilot in the Second World War. Oh, yeah. Except he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> I grew up thinking that my dad flew Lancasters in the war. Hmm. Now, he was. He, he learned to fly in the RAF in 1941, I think. 
uh, but he was a good pilot. Uh, most of the point, he was a good navigator, so he never actually saw action. They, they used him to train pilots, which is the only reason he survived and why I'm still I'm here at all, I think. <laughs> so I was given the rate of uh, survival rates for bomber pilots. I'd never, I'd have never seen the light of day, that's for sure. But anyway, after the war, he, he became, uh, he carried on as an airline pilot for what used to be BEA. I don't know if you remember that. Vaguely, vaguely, yeah. European Airways, round title, uh, which became part of British Airways in, in the 60s, I think. Uh, and he retired in 1973, at the ripe old age of 53, I think. Uh, anyway, this is, this is one, this is about his, you know, him as an old man. It's called Forced Landing. The weather's closing in on his airspace. Through cockpit eyes, he sees only clag. From death aids, there's no spark from ground control, only white noise. He lugs his damaged fuselage round on its zimmered undercarriage, insists no one knows anything about the life logged in the books he can no longer reach on top of his wardrobe. 15,000 hours lived high in the sky recorded in his neat hand. But not a word of the down-to-earth, his wife, his friends, his favourite food, his houses, gardens, pets, his children. Brilliant, brilliant that, yeah. The conciseness again, yeah, very, very. You can see that we that piece, Keith, I think you stewed that around in your head probably quite some time. Possibly on paper, I love where you, you finished that, that's brilliant. Yeah, I've still got, I've got the logbooks now. They're, they're, they're here somewhere. There's five, six of them. Wow. And uh, they're all written in ink. Oh, of course, in yeah. His neat, beautiful, neat hand. Oh, um, yeah. And, uh, all it talks about is flights. It's just flights <laughs> from here there and everywhere. 1949, 48. My brother was born in 49. And in the month or so before that, he flew. He flew to Australia and back. Well, oh. it took him 11 days to get there in those days. It would do, yeah. Not, not like it is nowadays in 24 hours, yeah. 11 days oh, wow. stopping everywhere. Right, what shall I do next? Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. Yes, here's one or two. Uh, about four years ago, um, I had uh, open heart surgery. Um, I mean, all my life I'd had a squeaky heart valve. You know, I was born with it, I think. Anyway, <clears throat> over the years, these things, if that's what you've got, it tends to clog up the valve. Yeah, so I had, a, I had to have a new valve. Uh, and they gave they gave me two bypasses at the same time for me trouble. So um, anyway, I'll read this, this first one. It's called The Borderland. And um, I don't know if, have you ever had a general anaesthetic? Yeah, oh yeah, a long time ago, a long time ago, yeah. I don't know, right. I, was sick, you, I was you, sick for hours afterwards on that one, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you probably know that you go under, and when you wake up, you've no idea you've been under. Yeah. And was it, the did they say to you, like, count, like, one to ten or something, and you're out by about well, you, three or something, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, uh, you don't get that long anymore. You just go, <laughs> boom. <laughs> Those in your vein, and that's your lot. But uh, so I, I was under for seven hours, apparently. 
anyway, this is called The Borderland, and it's sort of like um, a bit of a fantasy about, you know, what happens or what could happen, yeah? Uh, it's called The Borderland. I did not expect to end up here. One minute I'm lying on a gurney. Next minute I'm in this dark hole with only a white rabbit for company. He tells me the burrow is ancient, has housed many generations of his extended family. Looking out, I can see Alice and the Mad Hatter having a party. Cakes and candles and jugs of mead piled on the gurney. They are singing songs and dancing in and out of the next room where something momentous is going on. The rabbit advises me not to leave, says the Cheshire cat is unfriendly and a green man is at work and must not be disturbed. Time has no meaning down here. The clock on the wall doesn't change or chime. This is the borderland, he tells me. If the green man succeeds, I can leave. If not, I must explore this hole forever. Great stuff, that one. Oh, brilliant, really vivid, <laughs> that one. Brilliant, mate. That's a nice, it's a nice change in tone to your other pieces, Alan. They're all different anyway. <laughs> it's a bit dark at the end. Yeah, it's a bit dark, that one. <laughs> well, I like it. Well, I like dark, anyway. Oh, well, I'm, what you wouldn't know, Keith, is when I then upload podcasts, Amanda, the partner you've met with me, um, always yeah. listens to these, and I'm going to make sure I point that one out to her. She'll love that piece. I know, I know what she's like. <laughs> she likes surreal oh, yeah. art pieces. <laughs> I'll do two more. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, the next one's another one, which is 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 about the uh, it's about the operation. Um, now, uh, some of my poems have uh, an alter ego in them called Milo. Right? Mm. So, and this one, this is called In Theatre, Milo's View. Milo tells me I won't feel a thing. He, on the other hand will be awake, monitoring the situation. He's seen the videos on YouTube, how they stop the heart, cool the body, pump the blood through a machine. No way is he going to get trapped in that infernal thing. So he stays out of the arteries, surfs from lymph node to lymph node, watches the surgeon remove the right saphenous vein through a hole in my groin, Peeps gobsmacked as they graft it in place, and how he cheers when they remove the valve, the choked old squeaker. How sweet the bovine replacement smells, green grass, fresh, fresh pastures. He has to cling to a rib while they staple the sternum back together, but then passes out when they shot me back to this world. Milo was right, I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, completely. Have you done many pieces from Matt, your alter ego's point of view? Or is it just the odd, the odd, the odd piece that one that comes up? I, I've done a few, yeah. Last piece now, I seem to recall. Yes. This one's called IT. You really are it. Long ago, you knocked on my brain, flaunting your yeses and noes, certainty in silicon. At first, I couldn't speak. And you just coughed when I tried, spat my words back at me until the day I said I loved you in binary and your printer chattered. It was like having interrupt with a missing link. Look at the places we've been, 
New York, Stockholm, Cupertino. The list is long. The language is multiple. Algol, Java, Astral, C++, now Swift. You are fluent in them all, faultless, unmerciful. Here I am in my dotage, still dating you. Yet I know you are growing away from me, speaking new lingos, seducing brains much younger than mine. There you go. Fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant ending that one, Keith. Again, great stuff today, mate. Thank you for that today. It's been a pleasure. Now, hang around, Keith. I need a quick word to you off mic. Thank you again. Right. I've really, really enjoyed today. Some great pieces and great chat. Take care, guys and girls. This is Andy N. Bye to everybody. Spoken, mate.